When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 117, and we are recording on February 6th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Hello. How is it there? It is good. I'm still kind of rolling on a Super Bowl high. Oh, yes. You and me both. I mean, Philly's not going to be over this for a while. I was going (laughs) to ask you how the the city was faring, if it was still intact. There's going to be a giant parade on Thursday and they closed the schools. Like they literally they closed the schools. schools. They closed the schools so that everybody could go to the parade. That's amazing. Not even lying. That's real. I Um, sort of love that. Like, yeah, as a, you know, parent, school closures are the worst and annoying and I hate them, but that's amazing. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's our first Super Bowl title. Yeah. Like the first. So hard one. it, it seems legit. It seems like a legit reason to close school. <laughs> I agree. Roll on. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you, uh, what are you reading these days? I just started Frankenstein in Baghdad by Ahmed Sadawi, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's like a modern retelling of Frankenstein. It's super weird. <laughs> I've only just started it, so I'm not like terribly far into the weirdness, but it's about this. Uh, this guy who lives in Baghdad, who um, is like a, you know, kind of an odd fellow who like frequents coffee shops and, and whatnot. And he like collects body parts from the city and is putting them together like like Dr. Frankenstein uh, into like a corpse. Um, but the purpose of which is like he's going to take this body that he's created to the government and like demand that they give it a proper funeral. Like it's a political statement. Uh, but huh. then the corpse goes missing and is seen walking around the city and like can't be killed. <laughs> and it just goes on from there. So I saw it on, I don't even remember who, I saw it on somebody's Instagram feed and was like, what? Like an Iraqi retelling of Frankenstein? I'm so all over that. And my library had it randomly, which I was not expecting, but was really excited about. So um, yeah, weird, weird February read. That's what I'm doing. What about you? The the stars aligned for you on that one. That's that's always nice when that happens. Um, I am reading the second book in the Acacia series by David Anthony Durham, which is called The Other Lands. And can I just tell you that there was like a previously on chapter in the beginning of this book, which is book two. I, I It's not actually called previously on, but that's what it is. And it was wonderful. And I, I was just like, why don't all books do this? Mm-hmm. Like, give me five pages of what happened in the book before. Especially this series is like, I like to call it the more international POC Game of Thrones. Like, oh. it's it's so good. and But there's so many characters and there's so much plot per book. And I definitely did not remember everything that happened in book one. So it was really lovely to be like, okay, now I'm caught up and I can move on without having to, you know, try to re read all of book one which is not going to happen anyway so um yeah so I'm like three-fourths of the way through it and stuff is getting real and I like I'm just waiting to see who's gonna tithe on this book you know like you're like okay which of my beloved characters will be murdered this time well if it is Um, a Game of Thrones read alike then 
It is. You know? Yes, <laughs> exactly. So my heart is going to get broken, I have no doubt, but I don't know exactly how it's going to happen yet. But I'm ready. I'm girding myself for it. I'm, I'm ready. So, all right, enough about that. Um, let's talk about how the show works. This is, as we mentioned, a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you send us a question of what you should read next, and we will give you some recommendations. You can ask for yourself, for another person, for your book club, uh, really whatever, like whatever advice you need on what books to pick up next in your life or someone else's life, we are here to help. You can send questions either via email to get booked at bookriot.com. You can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every post, or excuse me, for every show. Uh, if you have a time-sensitive question, please make sure to put the need-by date in either the subject line or the very top of the form so that we can try to get to it on time. If we think we're not going to get to it on air, or if it's a question we've answered more than once, uh, we might send you an email response, so keep an eye out for those. And let's see, I'm going to read the first question, and then Amanda is going to tell us about our first sponsor, and away we will go. So this question is from Julie, who says, I'm heading on a trip to Finland at the end of February, and I'd love to read some Finnish fiction translated to English, please. I'd love something with a strong sense of place to familiarize me with the environment slash cultures slash weather, etc. My favorite books are easy enough to fall into and ones where the characters stay with you long after the story ends. I'm generally a literary fiction reader, but happily read other things except for romance and sci-fi fantasy as a rule. If it helps, some of my favorite authors are Heather O'Neill, Miriam Toes, Peter Heller, A.M. Holmes, Wally Lamb, David Benioff, and Willie Flotten. Okay, our first sponsor is Your One and Only by Adrian Finlay, and this is a YA science fiction romance debut. So it's about Jack and Althea. Jack is a walking fossil. He's like the only human left on the planet among a sea of clones. It's been hundreds of years since humanity as we know it died off in like a really slow-moving plague, which has left just clones behind to carry on human existence. And over those hundreds of years, the clone population has perfected their genetic makeup. They've moved farther and farther away from the imperfections of humanity. But if they are so perfect, why did they create Jack? So he's got this um, kind of existential dilemma going on. Meanwhile, the other character, uh, character, Althea 310, is struggling with this weird feeling that she's not the same as her sisters, which as a clone is not ideal. Uh, her fascination with Jack does not help with the situation. So as the two of them get to know each other, their connection goes stronger, grows stronger. And of course, as is often the situation in, in, in these kinds of science fiction scenarios, their love becomes the giant threat to their lives and to the status quo um, of the population that they live in right now. So what will happen if they do the unthinkable and decide to be together, despite all of these obstacles, uh, real or not so real, depending on who you ask? So if you are at all into things like Never Let Me Go, or if you really liked Orphan Black, then this is probably going to be right up your alley. So go check that out. That's Your One and Only by Adrienne Finley. I love a good clone story. For realsies. Like, I didn't realize that that was a I don't know subgenre trope I don't know that I, I liked but I do yeah clones okay yeah. Finland <laughs> indeed that sounds like such a rad trip like I've never considered going to fit like a vacation to Finland but that actually sounds pretty cool mm-hmm. okay so my pick for you is the year of the hair and this is by Arto Pasolina who is a Finnish writer he used to be a journalist and they turned into a comic novelist and he's now one of Finland's most like widely read um, and widely translated authors. Um, And this book is a little bonkers. So it's about a journalist, unsurprisingly, maybe, 
um, who is driving in a car with his uh, photographer. They're out on assignment on a very lovely night's evening. As they're driving through the countryside, they hit a young rabbit or hare. I don't really know the difference, but hare in the book. Um, and so the journalist gets out of his car, goes into the forest in search of this like creature that he's you know hit to see if it's okay or if he can take it to the vet or whatever. Um, and then he he ends up going through this like scamper through the woods on this farcical kind of adventure with this hair that revol- results in like a lot of political scandals and things like that. So he spends a year with this animal tromping through the forest, decides he's going to leave his loveless marriage and do like a Walden thing out in the, in the Finland forest <laughs> with a rabbit who he has befriended. Um, and along the way, he meets a, a bunch of, you know, um, some very helpful side characters, some very hostile side characters, uh, and his friendship with this bunny influences them in various and sundry ways, both political and not. So it is, as as many comic novels tend to be, um, actually, you know, commentary about uh, the current social political climate in Finland and about uh, you know what modern the, the vagaries of modern life, but with a bunny, which is cool. So go <laughs> check that out. That's the Year of the Hair by Arto Pasolina. Here's the thing: I think I know. From the Redwall books by Brian Jakes, um, I think hares have longer back legs. Oh, like that's the difference between them and rabbits. Uh, okay, if I recall my Redwall mythology correctly, <laughs> are they still edible? Is the question that concerns edible? Yeah, you can so. eat a hare. Okay, yeah, right. Like, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> side note: <laughs> Are they still edible? The things that matter. I, I mean, you know, can you cook it? Like, this is Amanda's <laughs> number one question. <laughs> Does it waffle? <laughs> <laughs> I would not want to eat a hair waffle. I'm no, just going to put no. that out there right now. No. Although maybe like a hash. Anyway, we do not need to do this right now. <laughs> Okay, um, my pick for you is The Summer Book by Tova Janssen, who you might know that name from the Moomin books, um, beloved children's books. Tova Janssen is uh, Finnish, and she wrote this book for adults, obviously. Um, It was translated from Swedish uh, by Thomas Thiel, and it takes place over the course of a summer, um, and the main characters are a young girl named Sophia, who's six, and her grandmother, who, so you've got, like, an early person in early life and a person sort of nearing the end of her life, um, and the, and Sophia's father, who's, uh, the grandmother's son, but he's kind of, like, off doing his own thing. You don't really get much of him. So, really, it's a grandmother-granddaughter story, and the grandmother is, like, you know, she's cranky, her bones hurt, like, she needs her meds, um, and Sophia, as many six-year-olds are, is like a tiny, like, you know, egomaniac. <laughs> like, everything revolves around her, and she's just, like, in her own head, like, having her own summer. Uh, and so they are basically, like, rambling around this uh, island that they have a summer home on. And so they're looking at, like, bugs and building little bark boats and, you know, um, going on boat trips and talking about whatever happens to come up. And it is, you mentioned you wanted something atmospheric. It is so atmospheric. Not a whole lot happens. It is very much just sort of one of those meandering plot lines that looks at the stuff of daily life. Like what would a grandmother and her six-year-old granddaughter do over the course of a summer on a tiny isolated island? Like that's what happens in this book. Nothing big happens, but it is so immersive. You feel like you're there. There's a beautiful section with this crazy storm. And I just felt like, 
like it needed to be raining outside because the storm was happening in the book and surely it was happening in real life too. Uh, I just got totally sucked into it. And you said also you wanted characters that will stick with you. I feel like I know them. Like after reading this book, I felt like they were a different branch of my own family. Like I really did get sucked into this book. Um, And I think it will give you many of the same feelings. So that is The Summer Book by Tova Janssen, translated by Thomas Thiel. Uh, That specific translation is the NYRB edition of this book. There are a ton of them. I'm not sure it matters which translation you get. That's just the one that I read. That's my story. (laughs) Okay, question two is from Sarah, who says, I just finished Turtles All the Way Down by John Green and loved Oz's perspective. I live with mental illness, as does she, and I really enjoyed reading a story where the character accepts her mental illness and still struggles, even though she's in recovery. I really like the nonlinear way the book looks at her condition. Do you know of any other books where the main character, excuse me, where the main character has a mental illness but does not exactly defeat it and instead learns to accept themselves? I've read I Can't Promise You a Rose Garden and enjoyed that. Side note, I've read many books about people with eating disorders, and I would prefer recommendations that do not include that topic. Okay, so my book, um, I would like to give a trigger warning for self-harm for, and it is I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica L. Sanchez. And this is a book about a girl named Julia. Uh, It's YA, like the John Green. Um, She lives in Chicago with her parents, who are immigrants from Mexico, and her sister Olga. As the book opens, Olga has died. Like, it opens in her funeral. Olga is her older sister, who seemed to be a very, like, perfect Mexican daughter. Never had any plans to leave home, was attending part-time, like, was taking classes part-time at the local college, but, like, was going to marry a nice Catholic boy um, and have children like that was her plan um and now she is dead and julia is nothing like that julia is a little bit punk rock she has um no plans to get married or have children she wants to be a writer she wants to leave chicago and go to college and her parents are not cool with her plans or really like her personality at all and so now that olga has died um they kind of are shifting all of their expectations onto Julia, which makes the existed the tension between her and her family that already existed even bigger and harder and more difficult. So while all of this is happening, Julia um, is going goes through Olga's things and discovers that maybe Olga was not as perfect as she was putting out. And um, so she's dealing with family issues, her own personal grief about losing her sister, um, microaggressions from people in her school about her race, all of this sort of stuff. And then also uh, she has some major depression personally, like not just not, I mean, I'm saying just, I don't mean to belittle it, but she's not only grieving for her sister. She also has this health issue, this mental health issue. So the book is really about the intersection of all of those things. Like everything comes to a head. She's got all of these things happening in her life and it all culminates in her realization that she has this mental illness and she needs to get help for it. Um, and so as the book progresses, she doesn't like defeat depression, you know, like her sister is still gone. She still has these issues with her family and she still has a very serious mental health issue that she has been diagnosed for and is seeking treatment for. Um, but as it goes on, she is learning how to handle all of those threads and like learning coping coping mechanisms and learning to accept help and treatment and go to therapy and and use it uh, as a tool to get better and to cope with her issues. So um, it treats Julia herself as a character is obnoxious in this way that all teenagers are obnoxious. So I've, I've heard some criticism of the book that like she's unlikable, but like she's 16 or 17 and has a mental and undiagnosed at the beginning of the book mental health issue and then all of these family issues like of course she is so don't go into it expecting it to be uh, 
her, you know, a perfect Mexican daughter, because uh, that's not that's not her. So, but I love this book so so much. It's so real um, and like thoughtful and well done and considerate and compassionate. So that's I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter by Erica L. Sanchez. I also picked a book that includes a character with depression. It's Hate to Want You by Alicia Rye, and this. Like this portrayal of depression is one of the reasons I love this book so much. Um, it's a contemporary romance. It's about uh, Livy Kane is the main character, and she grew up with the hero Nicholas Chandler, and they were together until there was a family tragedy um, that split them up when they were teenagers, and they basically have not talked to each other since, except for that once a year on her birthday. They get together wherever in the world they are and, like, have sex. And then they don't see each other again until the following year. Um, And this has sort of been a pattern through their adult lives. And, like, the rules are, like, they don't talk to each other. Nobody knows that they still are in touch. And the only time they're in touch is this one year, one night of the year. So then one year, Livy doesn't show up. Uh, to their meeting and Nicholas is like what has happened and then Livy shows up in town she's back in town to take care of her mother Um, and so the book like romance plot wise is about them sort of like can they reconcile what is this family drama like what else is going to happen in their lives Um, but Livy is does have depression and you get this very full view of it from her teenage years, her as an adult, and how she has learned to cope with it. And there's even this really great moment where she's talking to Nicholas and she's like, I'm never going to be better. Like, this is always going to be an issue for me. And if we're going to be together, you have to be okay with that. Like, I'm in therapy and I have tools and I have, you know, whatever. But, like, you need to know that this is never going away. And I just, I mean, I think I actually cried when I read Mm -hmm. that passage. Like, I think I did actually cry. Um, Because you just don't get to see a woman who has a mental, a diagnosed mental illness, like be so frank about how she copes with it and how it's just going to be there for the rest of her life. Um, And as somebody who had adult onset anxiety and has like really had to learn to like accept the fact that this is never going away, it was, I mean, it really was revolutionary for me to read. So that is Hate to Want You by Alicia Rye. Also, it's super steamy, just FYI. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a real steamy romance. Like it's a really lovely contemporary romance on top of that. So there's so much to love about that book. Anyway. All right. So our next question is from Erin, who says, I love fiction, but I want, by what I like to think of as provocative and sometimes offensive people of faith. I love books where the author writes about his or her faith tradition from a place of love, but isn't afraid to ask the messy questions, air the dirty laundry, and treat belief like the complicated, untidy, yet deeply meaningful thing that it is. Some of my favorite authors that I put in this category are Haim Potok, Fyodor Dostoevsky, Graham Greene, Evelyn Waugh, and Levi S. Peterson. I would love to read more fiction like this. I read widely and would be comfortable with any genre except horror. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked Saints and Misfits by S.K. Ali, which also I will give a trigger warning for for sexual assault. And this is a YA novel, um, which I was a little hesitant to pick, but Chaim Potak wrote a bunch of books about the teenage experience with Judaism, so I just went with it. Um, And she is doing everything in this book that you named, like asking messy questions, airing dirty laundry, treating belief like a complicated, meaningful thing. So I think it will be great. So um, this was when it first came out, it was pitched as my so-called life with a Muslim protagonist, which it like kind of super is. And I really love that. The main character's name is John. Um, she also lives, I think, in Chicago. Um, 
And she is a uh, 16 or 17. She's a teenager. You know, she's obsessed with like Flannery O'Connor. She's a, she wants to be a photographer. Um, she's a graphic novelist. She's a really interesting character. And she has a crush on a boy named Jeremy. Jeremy is not Muslim. And so she's kind of struggling with what to do with her feelings about that uh, for this boy. Like, should she pursue him? No, right? Because most Muslim girls don't date or shouldn't date or won't date. She can't really figure it out. Um, so she's trying to like work out all of those questions that she has about how to interact with um, friends and boys who aren't part of her faith community. At the same time, she is also considering um, the implications of wearing her hijab, which she is wearing of her own volition, but her father uh, does not want her to wear it. Her parents are divorced, um, and her father finds it regressive and old-fashioned and wants her to take it off, and so she has to deal with, like, trying to not convince him, but, like, almost justify her choices to her father, which is difficult. And while all of that is happening, she's also dealing with this boy she calls the monster, who is who is a Muslim boy in her faith community. He goes to her, um, oh, does he? Or he's, like, a cousin of somebody who goes to her mosque. Uh, I don't remember which, but I think he doesn't go to it, but he's around a lot because he's related to someone she knows, um, who at an event, like a, a dinner or something, a few months before the book opens, assaulted her. He assaulted Jana. But this boy has memorized the Quran and is considered a very devout uh, member of their community and is very well respected and has been invited, since he's memorized the Quran, he's being invited to... Um, like all of these positions of authority, uh, in like amongst the young people, and he's like his star is rising, you know. But she knows that he is in fact a terrible person, and is like hiding his uh, terribleness behind this false veil of purity. And she doesn't know what to do about that. Like, it, can she call him out? Can uh, what would a you know quote unquote good Muslim do in this situation? Does she let people know that he's a, like a false good person, or? Um, is that like outside of the bounds of what she is or is not allowed to do? She goes for uh, advice to um, several different people about it. Some people believe her, some people don't. It's just like super complicated. And she is working all of this out through this lens of her faith that's really important to her. But she also wants to um, follow her own inner kind of kind of conscious. You know, like she she knows that some people are going to discount what she says if she does call him out or going to victim blame her are going to think that she is XYZ if she does that, but she feels like she has to. It's such a like a thoughtful consideration of of what to do, not just when like someone who is is high up in your faith community has done something wrong, but when someone who you know is gonna like the consequences of which for women is pretty much always the consequences of calling out a man who has done something wrong um, in any context. Are, are always are, are tough basically but she's you know on her own and she's 17 so it's even harder for her um and it's like to the rescue comes a friend of hers who's a niqabi like a, she wears the niqab it's the full um the full covering of her face and i love i'm not going to spoil what they do together to like get this guy but like i absolutely love the way that she comes in and helps her it's just so great it's so great so that's saints and misfits by skle I picked The Mothers by Britt Bennett, uh, which is set in a contemporary black community in Southern California. And it is about a 17-year-old girl named Nadia Turner. It's not YA, though. It's definitely, like, not YA. Um, 
But yeah, so it's about a 17-year-old girl named Nadia Turner um, whose mother has recently committed suicide. And she starts hooking up with the local pastor's son, um, who is 21 and uh, was a football star, but now he's injured and is like waiting tables at a diner. Um, And then she gets pregnant. And so the... The the other thing about Nadia that's important to know is that she is her father is a very prominent member of the local church. Um, her best friend is Aubrey, who is also like very embedded in the faith community. And the book itself is narrated by the mothers at the church. It's like a collective sort of Greek chorus narration by the mothers in this church. So the whole book sort of revolves around these relationships that exist inside of Nadia's church, um, but it goes much farther out than that in terms of like, you know, what is she going to do as a young person? And then the book goes forward into um, their adult years and they're like trying to figure out, you know, who they are to each other and, you know, reconcile their past decisions from their teenage years. And it is just a really sort of you know, beautiful, uh, beautifully framed exploration of what it means to be part of a faith community, what it means to make your own decisions, like what are the repercussions of those decisions and how do the people around you see you? So like, yes, dirty laundry, you know, dealing with faith in difficult circumstances, all of that good stuff. So that is The Mothers by Britt Bennett. Okay, our next question is from an anonymous listener who says, recently I read Michelle Moran's The Heretic Queen, Unfortunately, I didn't enjoy it, but it did leave me wanting to find a good historical romance or fiction in a similar vein. The main reason I didn't enjoy the books is because I felt that the relationship in the book wasn't strong enough. So I have two requests, and I hope they aren't too much. I'd like the book to be set in the ancient world, Greece, Egypt, or Rome, and I want a strong relationship. I don't want instant love or an undeveloped relationship. I really want to be able to root for the relationship. And before you mention it, I have read and love the song of Achilles. <laughs> okay. Um, once again, this is just the trigger warning show, I guess. Um, <laughs> my, my pick for you is just all of them. Do they, I mean, violent, there's domestic violence, sexual assault. Um, and it is the Captive Prince trilogy by C.S. Picot. And this is, but don't at me. I know this is a controversial <laughs> trilogy um, that a lot of people have a lot of problems with. It is super problematic. Yes, I know all of those things are true. Um, but it fits everything that you're looking for. So this is a uh, male-male romance trilogy set in, it's not, they're not real, like it's not ancient Greece, ancient, they're not real places. It's um, based on ancient Greece and I think like ancient France. The second court is weird. The culture is like hard to pin down as like a direct corollary to a real ancient court, um, but that's what it feels like. So the main character's name is Damon and he is a prince of Achelos, or Achelos, I don't know how you say it, which is based on, it feels very like Spartan, like ancient Sparta. Um, and he, his brother, his half-brother seizes the throne after their father dies, and Damon is captured and like disguised as a slave and is sold off to an enemy nation as a slave to like serve their prince. And that, that's the second character, Prince Laurent, um, who is the Varetian prince who's like set to inherit the throne. And they are enemies. Like, Damon, on the field of battle before the first book opens, killed Lawrence's brother. Um, they've never met, but, you know, sworn 
enemies and whatnot. <laughs> and so he goes off uh, to this court and is sold into slavery for Lauren and like has to both figure out how to escape, like survive, first of all, escape, and whilst doing all that, never let Lauren figure out who he is because that would be bad. Um, so they, they hate each other. Uh, well, Damon hates Lauren. Lauren doesn't know who he is, but has a kind of condescending, you know, terrible attitude towards Damon because he considers the Damon to be his slave. And so uh, Damon gets uh, caught up in, like, the court intrigue that's happening around Prince Laurent. Turns out like, that the prince is, like, nothing that he appears to be at first or even at second, maybe even at third. Um, and he, so Damon gets caught up in all of this, like, royal shenanigans. And then he finds himself, like, working together with this prince who he's, like, sworn to hate to survive and save both his country and Laurent's country. Um, the reason, so all that is happening, the political intrigue is great and very interesting. The reason why I picked this, though, is because it is a romance, but it's a, such a slow burn romance that, like, at the end of book one, they still freaking hate each other. Like, you have just read 300 <laughs> pages of two dudes who, given half a chance, will slit each other short in the night. Like, that is still what's happening. Um, so it's not, it's not instant love. They earn their feelings for each other over the course of the entire trilogy. Um, and I read all three in, like, three days because I was like, no way did I just read this whole book and they have not even made out. Like, what is happening? <laughs> um, so, but it is super worth it to me. And I will, again, say that not everybody agrees with me. This is a romance between a master and a slave. And that is problematic on 18,000 infinite levels. And I, I understand that. But, you know, everything I just said. So, Make up your mind. You can make up your own mind. I'm not going to tell you that it's too problematic to read. I just want you to know that going in so you are not surprised and you don't write me angry emails. So that is The Captive Prince by C.S. Picot. <laughs> always, always a, a, uh, an option. <laughs> please, please don't. Please don't email we me. like to avoid whenever possible. Don't at me. Um, ever on any platform. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I picked for you one from my TBR pile. It's Fire from Heaven by Mary Renault, which is the first in the Alexander Great series that I am picking up because Alexander Chi talked about it in a piece he wrote for us about reading his way out of the closet for last year's National Coming Out Day. And I was like, oh my gosh, like mm. if it's good enough for Alexander Chi, it is good enough for me. Um, I really want to read them. So they are, they are about Alexander the Great. So like our world historical fiction. And it is, the, this first one is about his childhood. Um, and he, as you know, Alexander the Great, like he was basically raised to be a king. Um, his mother and his father were like very at each other's throats. So he learned politics from a very young age. It is a male-male romance. Um, in this book, you meet Hephaestion, who he depended on for like the rest of his life. Um, and you learn like, you know, how he became sort of like, how did he get to become Alexander the Great? Like this is the early years. And I have, I was reading reviews of these and it's like, you know, beautiful and lush and people use all of those words that you really want to hear when you are thinking about historical fiction. On top of which, as I said, Alexander Chi, like, cites these as some of the first books that, like, gave him permission to come out of the closet. So I am really excited to get to these one of these days, hopefully soon. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, the first one is Fire from Heaven. Uh, there are, I want to say, yeah, there are three books in the series. And there's actually a trilogy edition. So if you just, like, really want to dive in, that exists in the world. Um, so yeah, 
Again, that's Fire from Heaven by Mary Renault. And it is time for our second sponsor, which is Comic Bento. So February is February is a short, weird month, as we all know. Um, they are taking the opportunity to present you with a pile of short stories that are actually tall tales. So there are almost 20 different stories in, over the course of four graphic novels that span dozens of different genres and universes, and it is all lovingly hand-packed inside one box and sent to your door. Uh, you, it, you can only get it through through February 28th, so you should definitely visit comicbento.com and reserve yours. Um, They are small stories with big impacts. There are superheroes, there's interdimensional beings, there's gruesome goings-on, which is always a good time. Um, And the, like you know, combined retail price of this is $65, which is not what you're going to pay for it. So that is a very good deal. So again, that is short stories that are really tall tales. That's the theme of the February Comic Bento box. And you can find out more at www.comicbento.com. Let's see. And our next question is signed Awful at Romance Reading. Excellent. Uh, Says, let's see. I recently read The Hating Game by Sally Thorne and loved the contemporary romance. It was an enemy to lovers type book. So I enjoyed the banter and the humor. Uh, Disclaimer, some portions were problematic. So I do not mean to say that it was perfect, but it did keep me reading. I would like some similar recommendations. I would prefer contemporary romance, but I'll take anything I can get that explores the enemy to lovers theme. What do you have for her? Okay, I picked Hold Me by Courtney Milan, which is the second book in her Cyclone series. You don't need to read the first to understand what's happening here. And I picked this one because it is both enemy to lovers and friends to lovers at the same time with the same couple because complicated. It's so great. Um, So it's about Jay and Maria. Jay is a um, really workaholic-y scientist. Uh, He's never, he doesn't know how to like not work or not be obsessive about his work. Um, he meets Maria, who is the sister of one of his, of his only friend, really, and is instantly attracted to her, finds her super sexy and intelligent, but he knows that she's like a distraction from his work that he can't deal with right now. So he's openly rude to her, like a jerk. <laughs> like he says some really sexist stuff to her because she's, she's like very pretty and like femme and, uh, and like conventionally attractive. And so he assumes that she's Britney Spears basically and like makes fun of her brain, even though he doesn't know her. Um, and so he's just kind of the worst, like he's super rude to her and she reacts appropriately in, in a very satisfying ways and like calls him out, but their paths keep crossing because he is her brother's best friend. So they see each other out and about all the time and have, you know, the sparks fly, but not like chemistry sparks, more like I'm going to light you on fire in your bed with the match. (laughs) Sparks. Enemies. Like they are enemies. Okay. At the same time, Maria, her job is, she's a student, but she's also, uh, she runs anonymously a blog about the mathematical probabilities of how the world is going to end. Like each post is a mathematical consideration of ex-apocalypse scenario and it's like super popular and hitting the mainstream and she's becoming really well known for it and she's had for the last 18 months this uh like email chat relationship that slowly evolved with a commenter on her blog and it's turned into this like maybe they're gonna meet and see what happens they've both developed feelings for each other of course you probably already know without me having to tell you that this commenter is jay so they don't know that they are actually best friends while at the same time they super hate each other and so the book is both about the evolution of like both threads of those relationships without knowing that the, those two things are happening at the same time um and then of course because this is a romance novel uh the truth outs and they have to deal with 
what that means. Like, not like I love you, but I hate you. And how do I reconcile both of these? You're, you're both of those people. Like you're the person I've been talking to for two years who I deeply love, but you're also this jerk who insulted my intelligence because I have nice hair. Like, how do I make that make sense? And so it's, it's very like angsty and there's a lot of, there's just a lot of feelings, lots of feelings. Um, (laughs) Just so many, so many feelings. Uh, but it's just great. It's super diverse. And, uh, and yeah, this whole series, like Courtney Milan is just nailing it. So that's Hold Me by Courtney Milan. I picked up Dating You, Hating You by Christina Lauren because I thought it would be good for this theme. And it is. <laughs> surprise, not surprise, because it is actually in the title. And what cracks me up about this book is I, I've had it for months, but I hadn't picked it up because the premise is not one that I'm immediately interested in. So it's about these two... like high-powered Hollywood agents who meet each other as sort of like a setup at a Halloween party and, and hit it off. And they're like, Oh, maybe I'll see them again. And then basically almost the next day, possibly the next day, I forget the timeline exactly. Their agencies merge and they are being pitted each other, pitted against each other by the higher ups for like one position. They're like, basically you have six months to prove that you're the one who needs to stay. So now they're basically sabotaging each other at work, trying to prove that they're the one who is going to get this job, but also they are still attracted to each other and like really liked each other. And every time they interact outside of work, it seems like something could be there. But as soon as they're back in the office, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. So they're like friends to enemies, also simultaneously lovers. (laughs) It's complicated. Um, And I didn't think I was going to like it, and I really did. I got very sucked in. The sabotage stuff was played way better than I was expecting it to. And I, yeah, like it really does have a lot going for it. It's entertaining. It has like a nice dollop of angst. Uh, It also has a nice dollop of dealing with male privilege in the workplace because the hero, Carter, is much newer to the agent scene than Evie, who's the heroine. And his agency has kind of been absorbed by hers. So by all rights, like she's senior, she has more experience, and she's already there. So by all rights, the job should be hers. But the boss, who is just total jerkwad is pitting Carter against her and like giving Carter all of these sort of legs up basically just because he's also a dude and uh, watching Carter sort of have to come to terms with having an unfair advantage, even though like he is good at his job, but there's more to it than that. And watching that realization unfold was very satisfying. Mm. Uh, I will say, and I did get also attached to some of the side characters, which I always love. I'm like, what happened with them? Like what's going on there? And they had just had like every page was a nice little surprise in that it never quite went where a typical like tropey sort of, you know, like standard rom-com would go with the same premise. They went different directions and I really appreciated that. Um, And it does have a lot of that just like, you're like, oh, they hate each other so much, but like also so attracted to each other. Like it's a nice, they balance it really well. So that's Dating You, Hating You by Christina Lauren. 
Okay, our next question is from Emily, who says, I suffer from depression, and considering the world's political climate, I will continue to suffer for some time. I study humanitarian action in crisis, and I love to read books that are topic-heavy, such as Half a Yellow Sun by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie or The Color Purple by Alice Walker, or an anthology about racism in Sweden. I'm from Stockholm. Although the books are so good and I can't get enough, I also have ADHD, which, which makes me unable to give up on these books but at the same time, considering my depression, they make me sadder and unable to heal. I feel like I need something to break this habit while trying to get better, and I need to read a book that'll make me laugh or not think. I love novels about dance and novels from comedians, like Seriously, I'm Kidding by Ellen DeGeneres or How to Make White People Laugh by Nagin Fursad. I'm giving you free hands. Just remember, depressed, cannot stop reading heavy novels, need something else. Okay, um, I picked Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. Which you, I require that you listen to this on audio. <laughs> I will find you and make sure. No, I'm just kidding. That's creepy. I'm not going to do that. So I picked this. It's a. It's actually like a bit old. I think in the in the the um, world of novels written or not novels, but like books written written by comedians. That's become like a thing that's happening now. Um, this was one of the first ones. Like Bossy Pants, Tina Fey's Bossy Pants, and then Amy. Uh, released this one. It actually only came, it came out in 2014, so it's not that old, but it feels like it was forever ago. So, um, Yes, Please is a collection, um, I, I guess essays, I would almost call it, um, about just random stuff. Like, she does just one chapter about her time on Saturday Night Live. Um, there's a bit in there about her time in the improv world and about her divorce and dating after her divorce and all sorts of things. Um, but the, all of, the whole thing is wrapped up in this idea, uh, and this is where the title comes from, Yes, Please, is where, like, in improv comedy, when you're doing improv with a partner and they give you a line or a setup or some sort of um, scenario, you have to go with it. Like, you have to say, yes, and, or, like, yes, etc. You have to continue with what they've given you. You can't just be like, now, and sit down, and I'm not going to go with this idea that you've come up with. And so she's talking about applying that to the rest of the different parts of her life. Um, so it's a little bit self-helpy uh, in kind of the same way that Jen's is that um, she's going to talk about, um, wherein she's just giving you life advice based on like these awesome and funny experiences that she's had in her life. Like there's a whole chapter about drugs that is, I, if I remember right, like just a list of drugs she has and has not done. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous and hilarious. And, um, yeah, the audio is great. If you do listen to it on audio, uh, some of the chapters she's reading at an improv show, like, I don't remember the name of the theater that she used to perform at, but she goes back to it to read chapters of Yes, Please to the audience, and it's so good. Like, you get all of the audience reactions and the laughter, and it's just very lighthearted. Like, she's talking about big stuff, like, drug use is not a small topic, and her divorce is not an unserious thing, but, uh, and she doesn't deny that these are important things, but she's approaching them in a way that is comedic and a little bit, like, not so self-serious, um, which if you're looking for something where, like, the world is on fire and you just want to maybe smile once, I think that's a good pick. So that's Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. I, I wanted to give you a novel about dance, but all of the ones I could think of were super depressing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I skipped that and am instead recommending Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, which is, yeah, like kind of celebrity memoir, but also just freaking amazing. And the thing that I love so much about this book is that like... 
we all have problems, right? Like all of us have different problems, but we're like average people having average people problems. Um, some of which are serious and some of which are less and just annoying. And like, but you don't think of like Shonda Rhimes of Shonda Land and Grey's Anatomy and Scandal, et cetera, et cetera, as like having like surely her might life must be magic, right? But like, no, Shonda Rhimes has problems too. And for some reason, I find that super soothing. <laughs> like even Shonda Rhimes has problems. And this is a memoir about her deciding, actually, this is like a very good pairing. Um, she decides that she has to say yes to things that she would previously say no to for fear of what might happen. Um, and so she, for example, has like a crippling fear of public speaking. But for the course of this year that she's writing the memoir, she says yes to public speaking things. And how she gets through that fear is just like, it's so, I mean, it's so funny and also so moving and touching. And you're just like, wow, Shonda, like that's, that is, you did that thing. Like you did it. Um, there's also a chapter that I love called, uh, saying yes to saying no, which I just adored because there is a certain point at which you're like, I'm going to say yes to some bad things if I just say yes to everything and learning how to say no, like giving yourself permission to say no to things that don't fit in to your life that you would otherwise feel guilty if you said no, or like, oh, well, it matters more to them. That kind of stuff, like giving yourself permission to say no to things. She tackles that really beautifully. Um, and there's lots of stories about like being on set or how she writes and it's just so it's just lovely um and I do I have heard that the audiobook is excellent. So if audio is a thing that you like, this is definitely something you should listen to. Uh, so yeah, I just feel like this will get you out of your own head while also making you feel better that like we all struggle. Like the struggle is real and everybody struggles in their own way. And here's how Shonda Rhimes like got through it and had a nice year. Uh, even while dealing with a bunch of stuff. So that's Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. I love her so much. Okay. Can I say I did uh, I did listen to that on audio oh yeah the chapter where she talks about poop and oh, yes. dartmouth is amazing on audio it is amazing because she can't stop herself from like cackling while she talks yeah. about poop it's so good. yeah somebody else told me that listening to that on audio made her feel like ellen pompeo basically channels actual shonda in yes. Grey's anatomy which i thought was interesting i agree all right. Our last question is from Carrie, who says, one of my favorite books is Sweetland by Michael Crummy. Uh, I enjoyed that it was set on an island, was very atmospheric, and beautifully dealt with loss and isolation. I also liked how nature was a large part of the book. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for something similar. Uh, Amanda, why don't you go? Okay. Um, I picked Pond by Claire Louise Bennett. Now, I will say I haven't read Sweetland, so I don't know if this is a direct, you know, like one-to-one -one, um, comparison. But it, it Pond does hit all of these. It's super atmospheric. Nature's a huge part of it. Um, it's kind of a strange little book. Like, it's not that long. It's, almost, it's like 150 pages. Um, but it's about a woman who lives in an Irish coastal town. She's an unnamed narrator. Uh, does she even narrate? I don't know. <laughs> it's like super fragmentary. But she lives on a coastal town and um, is very isolated, doesn't have friends, like doesn't really, isn't really involved in her community. The town, it's, it's like a village. It's very small in and of itself. Um, and since it's Ireland, it's like, you know, it's just super atmospheric. There's a lot of fog and sheep. There are <laughs> many, many sheep. There's a lot of grass and dew. 
if you're into do. Uh, but <laughs> it's it's a series of like I don't even know that I would call them short stories necessarily. I'm sure that's how they that is how they read as short stories. Um, but they're just fragments of her life, which is kind of boring. And she's you know by herself doing the dishes, looking up at the cows that are on the hill outside of her window, or like considering her neighbor and thinking about the sunset and how sometimes sunsets are a little terrifying. She's not doing anything, but as you get into the book and like, she's kind of a a charming sort of narrator. She certainly makes the seclusion of her existence sound kind of charming. But as you get farther into these sort of fragmented narratives that she's giving you, you realize that this character is maybe isolating herself because of something that's happened. And like, are you going to find out what that is? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Um, but that's not why you're there, really. Like, it's not a mystery. You're not there to find out if she was, like, abused or divorced or is running from a love or whatever. You're kind of there to find out about, um, you know, the ways that people stare out of windows and think about the squirrels in their backyard. Because I totally do that. I don't have cows. But I do find myself doing the dishes just, like, contemplating the bird that's sitting on my post. And I know that that's not doesn't sound like the most exciting thing to read about, but like people's interior lives, especially the interior lives of women, which almost never get represented on the page, are so fascinating. Like the ways that we just let our brains run with whatever. And the interior life of somebody who lives in almost complete isolation, purposeful or otherwise, has got to be something that's, um, you know, a new experience for most of us because most of us don't live in complete or even slight isolation. Um, so that's Pond by Claire Louise Bennett. So here's what happened. (laughs) I did not realize until literally right now that I picked another book by Michael Crummy for you. I was looking at the show notes. I was like, did I just write that author's name again by accident? Like, surely that was a brain freeze. Nope. I picked Galore by Michael Crummy, also by Michael Crummy, for you because apparently he has a theme in his writing and it is isolated towns and very atmospheric, natural inclined books. Whoops. So um, if you haven't already read Galore by him, you will like it. I feel very sure that you will like it because it does all of the same things, apparently, as Sweetland, which I also had not read. But I've read Galore and I liked it a lot. Um, So I'm like doing a, you know, sort of Hail Mary second pick here for you because it seems like a cheat to recommend you a book by an author you already know you like. So I am bringing in All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde, which has a really interesting structure. It starts in the present. The main character's name is Jake, and she lives all alone in an old farmhouse on this like British island um, where it's just rainy and windy all the time. And she has a collie and a flock of sheep, and like this is what she does. She is a modern-day shepherd. She has her sheep. She has her dog. She lives alone. That's how she wants it to be. Um, but then something starts picking off the sheep, and she's trying to figure out like what is going on. And then there's this like strange guy who's roaming the island, and so there is this sort of feeling of dread, like what is what is taking her sheep who's this person does she need to be nervous for herself and then in the meantime you are going in like an alternating narrative you're going back into her life to find out why it is she has decided to live all alone on this island um and like why is she isolating herself and there is a lot of trauma in her past um trigger warnings for sexual assault uh and it is um i'm not going to talk about it though uh and 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 you the the narrative structure is so compelling because you just you feel like there's a mystery here but it's such a personal sort of like the arc of a life mystery it's not like who killed who it's it's just like what 
what in your life has led you to this point in time? And it was so beautifully executed. I mean, it is so atmospheric. The reason I don't think I thought of it first is because it is very eerie. Like, it's a dark book. Uh, so if you are not interested in that, then maybe just stick with more Michael Crummy. <laughs> but if, if that doesn't turn you off, I think it would fulfill a lot of the same sort of emotional tick boxes. So that's All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde. And that is our show. Wahoo! Woohoo! Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you get a chance, please do leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to see your feedback, and it does help other folks to find this show. Uh, thank you to today's sponsors for helping make the show happen. You can find me on social media. I am on Tumblr these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two Ns. What about you, Amanda? I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>